So whenever I was just thinking about, you know, what I wanted to preach on and um, what God has been doing in my life, I just begin to recollect and think about all the memories that I have and all the certain circumstances that I've gone through and how each of them have shaped me, shaped me and molded me to be the person I am today. And one memory came to mind, and it's not necessarily a circumstance that I went through, but it was something that made me think about those circumstances. You see, I was a student at East Carolina University a few years ago, and I was in my sociology class, and the professor um, was an older lady, and she had come in, and we were nearing the end of the semester, and so she was telling us that, you know, we needed to be prepared for the final and all this and that, but she had never mentioned this pop quiz that she was going to give us at the end of class, and so whenever we all found out about it, we started to kind of panic a little bit. I know I did, because I wanted to keep my A, and I was at a low A, and it was going to be worth 10% of our grade. And so I definitely started to panic. And like me, all the other classmates that I had began to panic. And it was a class of probably 100 to 120. I can't remember exactly, but it was a big class. But she had this piece of paper, and she passed out that paper. And we, as we were getting that paper, she was like, please do not look at the paper until I tell you to do so. And so after she finished passing out all the papers that she had given us, our test, we flipped it over, and after I flipped it over, I realized that there was just one black dot on that paper. And so I kind of looked up a little bit confused, and I looked around, and I noticed that all the other students were kind of as confused as I was, and um, the teacher also realized that, and so she began to give the instructions for this pop quiz or test that we were going to have. And she told us that we needed to write down a few sentences just describing the paper and what we saw. And so what I did... I literally did what I just told you. I wrote down that there was a black dot on the middle of this paper and that it was probably an inch in diameter. It was in the middle of the paper and it was just one single black dot. So I turned it in and all the other students turned it in and she told us that she wasn't necessarily going to grade it. She was just going to ask for a class response. And one by one, um, students began to give their response and kind of what they had seen on the paper. And everybody began to say the same thing. It was the black dot. Um, Everybody was commenting on the black dot. So after a few people had made their answers known, she said, did anybody else write anything differently? And um, nobody else spoke up. Everybody had wrote about the black dot. And she told us that while we were correct, we were also wrong. You see, what we had failed to mention was the white space surrounding the black dot. You see, that white space took up more than 95% of that paper yet we only wrote about that black dot. In fact, it probably took up more space than that, but all our eyes could only focus on the black dot. And now she wasn't a Christian, and so she didn't take the same approach that I did, but the lesson I learned from this black dot on that paper is that sometimes we can get so wrapped up in one circumstance that we forget to see all the work, all the good, all the faith, and all the hope that we have in God around us today. And you see, this one circumstance or that one black dot can cloud our vision and we can begin to just focus on that and forget all the good. And you see, this past Sunday morning, uh, you know, last Sunday in Sunday school, Brother Hemet Patel, he told us, we were talking about prayer, but one thing he said that stuck with me is that we do not find our faith in our circumstances, but in the Word of God. That is where our faith is found. And so whenever he said that, I, I begin to think about the book of Job. Um, and how Job, we all know about the book of Job. The book of Job was the first of the poetical books. It was uh, one, of three, one of the three wisdom books that we see in the Bible. And we just think of Job. And whenever I think of unfortunate circumstances, I cannot help but to go to the book of Job. And so that is what I want to do today. I want to go to Job and talk about how there is hope in these unfortunate circumstances. We just have to find it like Job did. Now, 
The author of the book of Job, Job is unknown. Um, some people suspect, some scholars think that it was Job that wrote the book himself, while others can uh, want to point to Moses, and some even think it was one of his friends. But nobody is necessary, nobody is 100% sure on the author of who Job it, or of the book of Job. Another thing that we are unsure of is the time that it was written in. See, a lot of scholars, again, tend to think that the book of Job was finished being written before Genesis, the book of Genesis was done, uh, concluded and written. So that shows kind of that it was very early on in the life of Job, and, or the time that Job was alive was very early on in history. Um, it is considered the earliest written book in the Bible. Um, obviously, like I said, Genesis is really early too, but like I had said, it was kind of suspected to be finished before Genesis was. And so, you know, we see the book of Job is an early book, but we also see the life of Job. And there's three aspects in the book of Job and the life of Job that I want us to look at. And the first is Job's prosperity. See, if you don't know anything about Job, I know Job is a common a common character in the Bible. Job lived in the land of Uz, and we're not 100% sure where that is, but we know that it's possible. We know it's in the Middle East. Some scholars think that it has something to do with Damascus and it's in the Syrian desert, but again, we're not 100% sure. And you know, I keep saying that we're not 100% sure on all this stuff, and I believe that's because the author of the book did not want us to focus on the surrounding circum- or the surrounding aspects of the story. He wanted us to focus on Job and the life of Job. And so that is why I feel like there's so much uncertainty surrounding the book of Job is so that we can focus on the actual um, points and aspects we get from the book of Job. You see, Job, he was perfect and he was upright. And this is not me just describing Job in a way that I feel like is necessary. God says these things about Job's uh, or Job. God says that Job was perfect and upright. God describes him in a way that's blameless and righteous. And Job feared God. You see, because Job feared God, he viewed him as holy and upright and righteous. You see, Job knew and feared God. And because he feared God, he hated evil. You see, to describe Job and some of Job's, um, some things that Job owned, he had tons of uh, animals. He had bunches of camel and oxes and donkey. Um, and I read one thing while studying that donkeys and, or Job used donkeys and he used their milk um, to drink of. And I was like, um, he can stick with the donkeys. I'll stick with my Chick-fil-A and uh, the cows that we chick- represent Chick-fil-A and the milk that they produce because ice cream and just love me some dairy. But I don't want donkey. I want cow milk. But Job, he lived in luxury, and that was a sign of wealth and luxury. Um, he used camels as transportation. He had 10 kids. Job had tons of um, things that just made it luxurious, and he was wealthy. And so we start off, and we learn about the Job in early in chapter 1. But then kind of later in chapter 1, we kind of transport or teleport to like a heavenly conference room where the Lord is present with what is mentioned in the Bible as the sons of God. And to describe what that is, is a bunch of angelic creatures. It's not necessarily humans. It's hard to number how many people were there or how many creatures, sons of God, were there. But there were tons. And they are kind of like in a throne room, uh, in a conference room, discussing on how the world is ran. You know, it's kind of like God's counsel, if, if I had to describe it in a way that was understood. And we see that Satan is present there. Um, Satan is present in heaven and they're talking about Job and how Job is perfect and upright and holy. He is living for the Lord and Satan or, or the word Satan in the Hebrew um, is described as 
an accuser or one who opposes. And that's what Satan does here. He starts to oppose what God is saying and accuse Job of only living for the Lord because of all this wealth and luxury that he has. He's saying, Satan here is saying that Job is not living for the Lord because he's truly faithful, but because he's been given so many things that it's almost like playing the system. If you know you're going to get something, you're going to do something to get that luxury. And so that's what Satan is saying about Job here. He is saying that Job is not fully faithful, but he is taking advantage of God in an aspect. That's kind of what Satan is saying. And so God allows Job, or I'm sorry, God allows Satan to uh, work in the life of Job, but not on the person of Job. And I don't know if you got what I said there, but God had to allow Satan to do that. And you see, that's something that we all need to realize. Um, Warren Wiersbe once said that Satan can only touch God's people with God's permission. And God uses it for their good and his glory. And that's what we see here. Satan had to be under the chain of command of God. He cannot work in a way without God knowing. God knew. God allowed Satan to work in the life of Job. Or God, yes, God allowed Satan to work in the life of Job. And you see, God didn't have anything wrong with Job. God viewed Job as, per- Job as perfect and upright. But he was allowing Satan to do this little experiment to see what would happen. So we see there that Satan starts to work in the life of Job. Job loses his wealth. He loses his children. It was devastating. I was studying and I read that some of the things that Job went through was painful and oozing boils on his skin. He couldn't sleep. I know whenever I can't sleep, I get miserable. Then having to deal with boils on top of that would be tough. He had tooth loss, fever. Um, To put into perspective of how many animals Job had, it says that messengers reported that he lost 500 yokes of oxen, 500 donkeys, 3,000 camels were stolen in enemy raid, 7,000 sheep were struck by lightning, and all 10 of his children were killed by a windstorm. You know, and on top of that, his wife began, told him to rebuke God, and whenever Job didn't do that, she then left him. So he loses his children, all his animals, his, his crop. He loses everything. And we, it's, you know, I think it's important to realize the amount of suffering that Job goes through here. And I'm not trying to downplay any of our suffering or our circumstances, but if I look back in history, it's hard to find one individual that goes through so much suffering and so, much, so many unfortunate circumstances like Job did. But you see, so we kind of continue on through that story after Job loses all his things and he has his wife leaves him. He's all alone and this what used to be a perfect land is now empty. He is alone. So three friends come um, and they try to encourage him. But then they, they start to question God's justness, just and God's wisdom. And so we kind of see that Job, they are in basically in old times or in this time of day. Whenever somebody was um, going through something like this or suffering, they believed that it was because they had done something wrong. But God has already told us early in this chapter in the book that Job has done nothing wrong, but they don't know that. So they're trying to figure out why all this suffering is happening to Job. And so on top of being alone, now Job and his Job's friends are trying to accuse him of sins that have not happened. And so so much is against Job right now. But we come to Job chapter 19 verses 25 through 27. And we see that Job, in the midst of all this suffering, yes, he is doubting God, he's angry at God, but he still has a hope. 
And I want to read about that hope in Job 19, 25 through 27. You see what it says, it says, it says, for I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. You see, in these three verses right here, we see a hope that Job has in the midst of all of his suffering. And the first thing that I think we see is a living redeemer. See, Job knew that in the midst of his suffering, God was still living. And today, whatever it is you're going through, I want to remind you that God is still alive. God is still working. Jesus is still living and we serve a living redeemer. And that is a big amount of hope, a great amount of hope that we can have in our life. See, Job was unaware of all the things that had happened in the conference room. He was questioning himself. He was questioning God. His friends have accused him of sins, but he he had done nothing wrong. But yet he still had a hope in God and the coming Redeemer. So we, we see a living Redeemer, and that brings me to my second point, a coming Redeemer. You see, Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, as I mentioned earlier. So what that means is that Job, in the life that he lived, he did not have all the writings of the Old Testament. In fact, he might not have had any of them. He didn't have the prophets um, prophesizing of a coming Jesus, a Savior to wash away our sins. He didn't have that. He was living in faith and a hope of a coming Redeemer. You see, now, when I look at where we are today, we are after. Jesus has already come to this earth. Jesus has died for our sins, and he, the Holy Spirit is present in us once we are born again. We have much more to be thankful for and hopeful for because we've seen what Job was longing for. So whenever we get in these times of circumstances or in that black dot, we need to remember that we have the Holy Spirit within us and that Jesus has come to this earth. And our hope is not in this world, but it's in things coming of a second coming of Christ to be reign with Jesus in one day coming. So we see a coming Redeemer and we see a living Redeemer, but we also see that it's a visible Redeemer. You see, not only did Job find, Job find hope in the fact that his Redeemer was living and coming, but in the fact that he knew one day he would see him face to face. And you see, last or Wednesday night in teen church, Marcos was talking about the word fear and how if, you know, whenever we're looking in the Bible and studying the Bible, um, we need to see if something's repeated once or if repeated, then it's important. Well, if we go back up into the three verses, Job, he says that he's going to see God three times. He says, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. So he wants us to get the point that it's a living and coming God, but we're going to see God one day and we're going to meet him in flesh face to face. That is something that we all should long for as Christians. You know, this world has so many evils and temptations. We need to long for the coming Redeemer and we are going to one day meet him face to face. And that is something that we can be hopeful for, thankful for, and looking forward to as Christians, no matter how tough or how rough the times around us get. Not lastly, we see a reunion with his Redeemer. And like I was saying, he saw a, love, a living Redeemer, a coming Redeemer, a visible Redeemer, and that reunion with the Redeemer. And that's the hope that we can all have. You know, I can look around on bad days or during times where it seems like this world is falling apart in ways that we don't even begin to understand or comprehend. I'm speaking of this, and I imagine something popped into your mind that you wish wouldn't have happened. 
But the reality is that that's what's, I mean, it's happened now. We have a hope in the future. And I'm not trying to downplay sin or suffering or circumstances or anything like that. But we have a hope. And that's the same hope that Job had. Except for us, we have seen and we have faith that Jesus came on this earth, died for our sins, and is resurrected and in heaven. And now the Holy Spirit indwells within us. And that is something that we are thankful for and we can be hopeful for the future when we get to come face to face with God and meet Jesus. You see, we have this hope that is in a Redeemer, and today that is present in the gospel. Job was alive well before Jesus had come to the earth, but he had faith in the coming Redeemer in the middle of the circumstances and struggling. This brings me to our hope, which is not found in circumstances, but it's found in the Word of God. You know, we see, we know that God is just, and throughout, in the end of the book of Job, we see that God reveals himself, and he basically, Job is so confused, Job is not even understanding why he is suffering, and he starts to question if God is just, and basically God's answer is, in a way that is not really probably what Job wanted to hear, but it got his point across, you see, God told, basically showed Job that Job only lives one life. He can only see what Job sees, that he can't see the rest of the world around him, all the other people in the world, all this and that. And when we look at creation alone, just to look at the minute details that have to be spot on for this world to function, I've always heard, I don't know if this is true or not, that if the earth was any closer to the sun, we would melt. But if we were any further from the sun, we would freeze. And so just thinking of all these different aspects that make this world run smoothly is magnificent to even, I mean, I can't even fathom fathom it. And that's what God is showing Job here, that if I only worked in ways that basically helped you, then I might be destroying the whole world. And so that's whenever, you know, we just need to realize that sometimes things are not always going to go our way. But in the end, God is working in a way that it's going to work for his glory and our good, even though we might not realize it at the time. I've always heard that um, tests make us stronger and that in these circumstances we can come out later and we can be more on fire for God and live for God and see how he works in our lives. And we have a hope that even in the midst of these circumstances that that will happen, but one day we will come face to face with our Redeemer. We have more things. We have more things than we could, that we could ever be thankful for that God has given us. I cannot even begin to count, and you, and you probably can't either, of all the many times that God has blessed us in the good and in the bad times. And we still have a hope. We have that hope. We can look back on our lives and see when God has blessed us, and we have a hope. And in the midst of these circumstances, or in we're, whenever we're in a black dot, we need to t- try and take a step back and just remember all the white around us, all the, go- all the good that God has done. You see, I have friends from high school that are definitely not Christians and they get in these circumstances and they do something bad or something's bad happened to them and they'll turn to um, secular books and songs and so many things of the world, so many things of the world to try and find a peace and an understanding and trying to find some type of closure. But they don't have what they need. And, and it sounds harsh, but it's true. They don't have the living hope of the Redeemer that we one day will meet, and we have that hope. And so I just want to challenge us that um, if you're going through a circumstance right now, remember all the good that God has done in your life. There's so much that we can be thankful for. And like I said earlier, I'm not trying to downplay the circumstance or the struggle that you're going through now. 
trying to uplift our God. Our God is mighty. Our God is wonderful. Our God is powerful. And he knows what he's doing. We don't need to question God. We just need to, to bear down, trust in the word of God, read it, find hope in the word of God and not in our circumstances. And we can share that hope with the world. You know, I, I'm going to finish with a story. I wasn't, I didn't even prepare to say this. But I was talking to somebody on the graduation day of Southeast, Southeasterners graduation day. And I was ta- they were like, what are you doing? What's your major? And I told them pastoral theology and practical ministry and this and that. And they're like, are you excited about it? I was like, yes, I am. Um, obviously, I'm nervous. I, it seems like I don't know what's going to happen after I graduate. And just the way the world is going, it seems like by the time I graduate or even later, sometime in my ministry, it seems as if the world's going to reject the gospel. And the world is already starting to lean that way now, but it's going to be harder to spread the word. And I wasn't expecting this answer, and I wish I could remember who it was that told me this. But they said, you know what, Chance, you're right. But whenever the, whenever the world is at its darkest, the light will shine its brightest. And that, and that just stuck with me. And I was, like I said, I wasn't even preparing to say that. But for some reason, the light that we have is the hope that the world is looking for in this dark world. We have a light that is found in Jesus. He has come and he's washed away our sins and we can be thankful and we can hope for the future of a reunion with our Redeemer. And we can just spread that with the world in this time of struggle, in this time of unfortunate circumstances. I just pray that we can live in a way that magnifies and glorifies God so we can shine a light into the world so that people can see the Redeemer that we hope for and long for. I want to I close this out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time to come together virtually in such unfortunate circumstances where we can still dig into your word and we can learn from the life of Job. I pray that you can work in the unfortunate circumstances that are happening in this world today. If anybody that is listening is going through a sin or a struggle or a circumstance that they just are consumed in and all they see is the black dot, Lord, I pray that you can remind them of all the white space that is around them, Lord, of the hope of the coming Redeemer and that our God and that Jesus is still living and one day we'll be reunited with him in heaven, Lord. I pray that you just work. In this summer, as the teens go off to Youth of Flame, you can work in their life. Vacation Bible School is coming up, Lord, that we can share the hope that we have talked about tonight with the children, Lord, and we can just continue to spread the gospel in this dark world, Lord. I pray that you just work in my life. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.